morning, good morning. We are glad you're here. I went to the trampoline park for two hours with my kids on Friday, and my feet were so sore. But when that song, I believe, started, I had got a little jig on. Even though my feet hurt really bad, I was like, oh, yes, this is better. This is above sore feet, I believe, in Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world. My wife, Megan, has the announcement. We are, we are married. You know, I could get a little, that's too much, too much, especially new people. Anyways, it's so nice to see you all. So nice to Again, so we have some exciting announcements. First of all, next week, we have our guest speakers, Pastor Mike Ware, who is our overseer. Um, from Colorado. So he and his lovely wife, Miss Jeannie, will be in town. So that makes next weekend super exciting in that on Saturday, we're going to put her to work for our women's breakfast. So all of you ladies, please join us for our women's breakfast on Saturday at 9 a.m. to 1030. We have a great time just visiting, hanging out, eating yummy food. We hear a message from Miss Jeannie, and it's just a fun time. Um, so I would love to see all of you there. If you could please RSVP just to help us get a head count, you can do that on our Facebook event page or just let me know and we will count you in. Also that weekend, since we have Pastor Mike in town, we're going to be doing baby dedications. We'll, baby, we'll dedicate our own baby and anyone else. So please let us know if you would like your child dedicated on Sunday the 29th. Also, mark your calendars. We're giving you plenty of time, but October 20th, we are having our annual Friends and Family Day. So this is our big Sunday where we want you all here and we want you to invite any friends, coworkers, family who might need a church home. And after service, we go across the street and we have a big tent and food and just uh, bounce houses for the kids. It's a fun time. So make sure that you are here on October 20th. That All right, it. babe, that was the best. I haven't slept in four weeks. Five, five kid announcement in the history of announcements right there. That was the best. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ for your life, for your family's life, as we just did in worship. And let's learn something new from the word of God. We are in a series called I Am. Seven times Jesus proclaims the great I am's in the Bible. From John chapter 6 to John chapter 15, he's going to proclaim in various places, in various ways, the same as he does now. He proclaims them to various people, from the high rises of New York to the jungles of Papua New Guinea. He proclaims I am. He still does it. He is still saving. He is still delivering. So we're going to look at this. We're in John chapter 10, week 4 of the great I am statements of Christ. This statement is unique, I am the great shepherd, we'll look at today, in that he marries it together. The only two I am's that are married together in the same place are I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Last week we looked at the door, this week we're going to look at I am the good shepherd. Why are they married together? They have to be. Remember who, first of all, remember who Jesus is speaking to. A young blind man was healed. The Pharisees, after they realized it was Jesus, it was the Sabbath day, have put him out of the temple. He has been excommunicated socially, uh, politically, so many ways. Jesus goes and finds him because Jesus goes to find the sheep. Jesus goes and finds him. And he says, do you believe? He said, who, Lord, who is the Savior that I may believe in him? Jesus says, you're talking to him. And he says, yes, I believe and worshiped him. Now, from that statement, Jesus proclaims these two great I am's. So the first one last week was the door. Why is the door and the I am the good shepherd put together? This is why. Back then, sheep obviously were common. There were lots of in the area, not only for the temple, but for food and everything else. So in one pen, there would be multiple sheep put in for the night. Multiple. So when the shepherd came to the door, he would better call his sheep and his sheep only would come out. It's true. They wouldn't listen to other shepherd. They would only follow their shepherd. Well, the door, when Jesus says, I am the door, there was actually no physical door in the pen. See, the way it worked was the shepherd at night would lay himself down in the door walkway where the sheep would come in and out. So with one hand, he holds the staff. 
to protect from robbers and wolves. No, no robber and wolf is coming here after these sheep. And with the other hand, he, the staff's in this hand, and with the other hand, he gently keeps the sheep in. So that's the picture. Jesus says, I'm the door. It wasn't a door. I'm the door. He's the one who stretched out his hands on the cross and said, it's me. Amen? So that's the first statement. Then we pick it up with, I am the good shepherd. Let's read John 10, 10, very famous, and then a few other verses, and let's learn something from the word of God here. John chapter 10, verse 10. He has just proclaimed, I am the door, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Let me stop there. The reason why this proclamation is made is he's standing with a bunch of religious leaders. And instead of looking like good shepherds, it looks like a valley of dry bones. They are spiritually depleted. They have no spiritual life. Therefore, you can't give what you don't have. So they have become thieves and robbers. But he's saying, not me. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by them. Even as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Simple verses here, such profound words. Let's learn something from the word of God here. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. This is going to be said twice in verse 11 and verse 14. The language is the most emphatic language you can use in Jesus's uh, in the time and culture. It's the most emphatic used. When he speaks it, it couldn't be any stronger language. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, you know, I shouldn't be standing here if I didn't know that that's what he said. You wouldn't be sitting here if he suggested that he was the good shepherd. You wouldn't be sitting here if he alluded to it, if he said it nonchalantly. He says it emphatically, and he says it twice. He doesn't imply it. He doesn't allude to it. He doesn't suggest it. He proclaims it in the strongest possible language so that we can say, number one on your notes, Christ has proven his unending goodness. He's proven it. You can put a capital P there if you want it. You can put it in all caps. Put a line underneath it. Put it in a strong bold if you're an artsy person. He has not suggested he was the good shepherd. I didn't stand up here. I didn't give my life to Jesus on a maybe. You're not sitting there because it's a whim. Because it's a hmm. Or we'll see what happens next or what comes next. No. You are here because Jesus Christ has invaded, has changed your life. He pulled you out of rejection. He pulled you out of your own sin, your own mess, your own spiritual blindness. And he said, I'm the good shepherd. And you said, oh, yes, Lord, I repent. I'm serving you. He's proven it. Amen. So your language, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act is the way Jesus talks and the way Jesus thinks and the way Jesus acts. Right. So you speak in absolutes. When you speak of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, amen, he has proven it not once, not twice to you, not once or twice to me. I love getting older. Y'all, y'all are like, oh, older, I don't want to get old. I love getting older. Every day I'm older, I say, oh, yes, one more day he has proven. Not one day, not one year, not 15 years, not 20 years. I'm over 20 years now saying, I want to tell you, he has proven to me he's the good shepherd. Absolutely. And that's the way we believe. That's the way we talk. Not because I'm trying to conjure it up. I'm not trying to hope it is by faith. That's not faith. Faith is my experience and how I have encountered the living God. It's what you're holding in your hand. Your faith is, is a commodity, the most precious commodity you ever heard. I've say, you ever have ever had. I say this 
multiple times. You need to understand. My trust in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, is not, oh, I wish or I hope. Absolutely not. It is proof positive. It is encounter, experiential. I have encountered the living God, and I know he's the good shepherd. Amen? You too, right? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Do you know this is what the church was built on? And I want to bring us back. This is who we are as a church. We got a vision to build a biblical community, one family at a time, to know God, to grow in community, and to go near and far. That's who we are. That's what we do. Now, I want to ask you a question. That's probably what you want, too. That's why you're here. I want you to know him. I want you to grow in community. Oh, and I want you to go near and far. I want to show you how the church was built in Acts chapter 1. Acts 1.1 on this statement of proven. Acts 1.1. Okay, now let me set this up. The book of Acts was written by Luke. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. Not of the 12 apostles, a contemporary with Paul. He is a physician. He is educated. He's with Paul by the hand of God because Paul's got a lot of physical ailments. It's good to have a best friend that's a doctor, right? Amen. (laughs) Give me a best friend that's a doctor if I got a bunch of physical ailments. That's the grace of God in Paul's life. So Luke is going to write the book of Luke and he's going to write the book of Acts. Watch right here. The former account I made, O Theophilus. He's talking about Luke. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, the death, burial, and resurrection, matter of fact, by, what does that say right there? By many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to tell you how the church was built and what our DNA is. It's built on many infallible proofs. That's the house of God. That's the people of God. That's Christianity. It's built on many infallible proofs by many witnesses, actually over 500, over 40 days. If you took in when courtroom, they each have five minutes. It would take over 12 hours for them to testify about what Jesus has done. I want to tell you about the good shepherd. He has proven his goodness by many infallible proofs. This place, we are not perfect but we serve the one who is, and his doctrine is complete and perfect and holy by many infallible proofs. Amen? So that's the way we, oh, I like that. Many infallible proofs. The good shepherd. This is our Savior. We need to get around people like this that have proven goodness. About 10 years ago, I just moved to Colorado. I had, didn't really know much of anything except obedience. I moved to Colorado to, take, to work uh, as a youth pastor, but I was running birth through college. You can put Pastor Mike's picture up there. So I have three overseers at this church where this man I met about 10 years ago. He hired me the very first day on the job. One day, job just like any other, right? First day. I've only met him a few times. We had, you know, had a, I flew up there for the weekend. We talked several times. I talked to his son a lot, who's now the pastor. So he comes into my office. He's such a happy-go-lucky, fun kind of a party guy. I mean, that's who he is all the time. He's like, let's go. It's, he's, just, he's fun to hang around with. So he, um, first date, sitting in my office, and I'm all new there, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to work. I'm going to prove. I'm going to do this. And he comes in, and he says, Stephen, hey, let's talk for a little bit. He sits down, and he says, I want you to know that if you need anything in this job, out of this job, and in the future, For your future, for your future ministry, I believe, I'll never forget the words, he said, I believe in your ministry and your future ministry. This thing didn't exist. There was no church. I was day one as a youth pastor. He said, I'm here and I'll support you. (laughs) You ever done a spiritual eye roll? You ever done one of those? I didn't do it. A spiritual one is where it's not right here. It's deep in here. You done one of those? I didn't know the guy that's a tall order. I'm like, he's just trying to be encouraging and over spiritual. So I say, okay, great. He smiles. He walks out. And then I do the the natural. I'm like, that's, I don't know about that. I mean, 
Whoa there. Okay, day one on the job. I mean, I could go do so. I could burn down the building tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see how you feel if I burn down the building tomorrow. I did not burn that building, okay? I didn't burn it down. Praise God. I set the alarm off. I put a few holes in the door, pulled out a shrubbery one time. That was the worst. It's for a sermon illustration. Pulled out a shrubbery. Okay. So, 10 years later, I want to tell you. There's a reason why this man's my overseer. Not one time, not once, have those words fallen to the ground that he didn't mean them. He proved to me over the last almost decade now that, and this is a flawed man. This is just a sinner saved by grace. Don't exalt him. He would hate that. That's a man I put my trust in. Don't ever have more trust in a man than God. I trust him implicitly with my own precious wife and children because he has proven it. Now, we must speak as the Savior in higher terms than that. Amen? Amen. He has proven over and over he's the good shepherd. The reason that man can shepherd is he's just following this one. Come on now. Let's keep looking here. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. That's 11, excuse me. John chapter 10, now we're in verse 12. That was verse 11, now verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and they're scattered. Ooh, this is a major compare and contrast, right? If we're looking at it in a literal sense, it's a compare and contrast. In this verse, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. I'll step in front of the sheep before I'll let the wolf get them. And the wolf is not the devil. The wolf is my own sin, my own destructive life that would bring destruction on me. But he stepped in and he's the one who died on the cross. Amen. He's the good shepherd. But I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, hmm. What's the difference here between the sheep, I mean the the hireling and the shepherd? What's the difference? One lays his life down for the sheep. One's a hireling. He sees trouble coming. He sees the wolf coming. I'm out the door. I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person because that's not who Jesus was, and we want to be like Jesus. I've just brought it down to one word, number two on your notes. Commitment is the difference between producing life and death. In this verse, the difference between life and death is commitment. One flees, one lays his life down. Come on, married people. What's the difference between life and death in the marriage? Come on. (laughs) Commitment. You know it. Now, the unmarried people, you'll get it. Just wait. It's coming. Oh, it's coming for you. Choo-choo. It's coming. (laughs) Don't rush it. Once it gets there, it's there for life. So don't rush it. (laughs) In God's timing. Commitment is the difference between what produces life and death. Such a seems like so simple thing, right? Doesn't it? It's so simple, but it's so profound. The sheep are scattered and caught by the wolf or the sheep are protected based on commitment. Now, let me explain um, the word shepherd in Jesus's time. When I say the word shepherd, you either think of a guy with a bunch of sheep or people like me, right? Because that's what pastor means, a shepherd. In Jesus' time, not so. Shepherd was a much broader term, especially in the ears of a little Jewish guy. Specifically, he's talking to a young man who was just blind, right? And now he sees. Let me show you some scriptures here in Isaiah 40, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Look at this. We will feed his flock. Okay, so this is Jesus talking about the Messiah. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That's talking about the Messiah. That's who he is. Now we have to compare and contrast again. Look at Ezekiel 34. This is going to explain the broader sense of the term shepherd. Let me read this right out of here. It's a long verse. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 5. Ezekiel 34, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the what? 
The shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord your God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. Shepherds back then in Jesus' time were not only religious leaders. Usually they weren't even called shepherds. They were called priests. They were political leaders. They were tribal leaders. They were family leaders, even military leaders. So Jesus is, this is the broad sense of the term with commitment and all these different leaders. Not, he's not even specifically in Ezekiel 34. It's not specifically talking about priests. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with, with the wool. You slaughter the fatling, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought out what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. You always scatter with force and cruelty. If you're going to bring people to you, it must be gently. If you're forceful and cruel, you always scatter. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now, we got to keep going because I'm going somewhere where it's kind of a long story. Illustration. Okay, so that's 1 through 5. Look at verse 22. It's on your screen there. Now he's going to show the good shepherd. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be prey from that mess that they were in. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them my servant, or even just like my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, why way over in Ezekiel, after the, the Israel has been split into two kingdoms, going into to bondage, why is he talking about King David? There's been lots of kings. Why is he bringing that up? That seems totally arbitrary and random. Not in the Bible. No unnecessary details, right? None, correct? What is the first view we get of teenage boy David? Way before he's king. Well, it's found in 1 Samuel 16, 11. So if commitment is the difference between producing life and death, we have a fledgling nation with Saul as a, has been a horrible leader. The people are in chaos, and God says, nope, it's not going to be Saul. Fill up that horn with oil and go to Jesse's house because I've found myself a king who's got a heart for, for my people like I have a heart for my people. You know the story. He comes in to sacrifice, brings all his sons. He goes, nope, not that one. The Lord says, nope, not that one. Anoint that one? That's got to be it. He's great looking. I mean, he could be a model. Anoint that one. He can throw a football 70 yards. Nope, not that one. Go to the next one. Nope, not that one. Goes all the way through the sons of Jesse. Samuel says, are there any more kids? Are there any more? Y'all know this. But this I never noticed in the Bible before. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Now, I don't have teenagers yet. But many of you did or currently have. And I have spent many a day working with teenagers. If you had to pick a group, I'm not knocking teenagers. I love teenagers. They're, they're 100% jet fuel. Just put fins on it or they'll blow something up. They're 100%. Just put fins on it so it'll control them. If I was Jesse's dad, excuse me, if I was Jesse, David's dad, I don't know if I would have so emphatically and confidently said, I know exactly where my teenage son is. Come on now. But he does. Jesse steps up to the prophet and says, yeah, I got one more. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know exactly where that teenager is. Why does Jesse make such a proclamation? He doesn't think he's a good leader. He doesn't think he can do it because he's so young. He forgot to invite him. Why in the world? One word. He may be shorter. He may still have a pimple on his face. But he's got a heart of commitment. 
He's got a heart in him that says, I am committed to these sheep, not because I love these sheep so much, but my father has given me a commandment, and I promise you, when he comes, I will be right here where he put me. Amen? Commitment is the difference between life and death. It's Jesse who steps up and goes, he's with those sheep, I promise you. That's my son's heart. In my mind, I always thought Jesse had lower views of his son, right? You kind of had that in the Bible? Or he just didn't trust him very much. Not according to that scripture. According to that scripture, he trusted him with a flock. And he says, I promise you, when I call, he's going to be right there. Blessed is the man. When the master returns, he is busy about his master's business. Amen? Come on, think about all those New Testament illustrations, all those parables of Jesus. Commitment is the difference between producing life or death. It is the difference. You can always see commitment, can't you? Oh, you can see it. Y'all know I'm not too committed to the gym. I'm rocking the dad bod. Five kids, dad bod for life. I'm loving it. Feels so good. The trampoline park's all I got anyways. Oh, my goodness. Whew. I've got some insoles in my feet, and I'm still walking funny. You can see commitment. Let's look at a couple pictures here. Let's look at the first one. Commitment. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. I mean committed. Now, we understand this illustration. How about the everyday mundane? How about being totally committed to what you have to do every day that seems mundane? King David is watching sheep on the backside of a hill. No one sees him except God the Father who will raise him up. Listen, everyone spends 20 years becoming an overnight success. You want to do something for the king, be committed in the small and he'll do more. Be committed to those children and shepherd them. Be committed to that job. Be committed to your spouse. Be committed to your church. Amen? Where God has put you and where God has said, right here. And you do it for the Father. You may not even like sheep that much. You do it out of obedience. Now, I love this church. It's an honor to, to pastor you guys. Y'all guys make it easy for me. I love it. But I'm telling you, on the hard days, I do it because he told me to. And that's why you do it. Amen? Now, in the mundane, in the everyday, what does commitment look like? This is the best picture I've ever seen. Now, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that's commitment. <laughs> Full commitment right there. I don't know who that plumber is, but I want to hire him. Amen? I'm going to hire that dude because that is commitment. I saw that picture. I was like, that'll preach. That will preach right there. <laughs> You know that's a Cajun. Only a Cajun would do that. <laughs> I bet you in his wallet it's a Louisiana driver's license. <laughs> Wait, I know that street. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, let's keep looking here. So if commitment is the difference between life and death, verse 13. So the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. A hireling loves his wages. He doesn't love the work. A hireling loves what he gets. He doesn't necessarily love the sheep. Number three on your notes. Real simple. Abandonment is the result of worldly, worldly reliance. When the hireling flees, it's over for the sheep, right? There's a deep sense of abandonment. I bet you y'all could stand up here and give testimonies all day of when you had a worldly reliance and they abandoned abandon you. Whether it was a, a, a non-Christian, a job, the culture, whatever. Worldly reliance always ends in one thing. A profound sense that you're abandoned, you're alone. That's totally opposite of my Savior Jesus and yours. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life. You know, this abandonment really is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, I'm done with this 
with this father. I'm done with this, the way he's running things. I'll do it myself. He takes off with all the world could offer. He's got bags of money. He's got everything he needs for success. He squanders it all. His friends have left him. He hires himself out to some foreigner. He's in the field with pigs. It doesn't get any lower than that for a Jewish boy who's not even supposed to be around pigs. They're unclean. He is totally and absolutely abandoned. The only thing there with him is the filthy pigs he's not supposed to be with. Why? Because he had reliance in the world. And so he's fully abandoned. The prodigal son is not the only story like this in the Bible. There are many. Look at Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, 1 through 7. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. You, you mark something in iron, that's going to stay a while. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of your altars, not God's altar, your idol altars. While their children remember their altar and their wooden images by the green trees and the high hills, used to sacrifice and stuff, on my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage, which I give you, this land. You're going to see yourself go in captivity. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. Ho, oh, that's a lot of stuff I don't want. Why is all that happening? The answer is in the next verse. Why? Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man, abandoned is the man, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt, salt land which is not inhabited. Nothing grows in salt. Blessed is the man, but in contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. If you're the good, with the good shepherd, you're never going to feel this abandonment. If the good shepherd is yours and you're his, this will never be your life because you don't trust in man. You trust in the good shepherd. Amen? We trust in the good shepherd. But then practically, Lord, we still got to live our life and with people. I can't sit in a room all day and pray all day. I still have relationships. I still have all this. God's got that covered, too. He's got that covered, too. He had it covered for his people. He always does. Not only does he want you to know him, and he's the good shepherd. Oh, he's got good community for you. Good community. I want to show you a community right here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, 19 and 20. I'm going to read even a little bit more. But I trust in the Lord. First, Paul's trust is in the Lord. To send Timothy, hmm, his spiritual son, to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I, know, when, I knew, when I know your state. For I have, what does that say? No one like-minded who, we're, who will sincerely care for your state. If you keep reading, it says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, but you know his proven character that as the son with a father, he served me in the gospel. God in his glory, in his mercy and grace said, look, to these Philippians, I'm, Paul can't be there right now. He's engaged in other things in my will, but I have someone else. I've raised someone else up. It's not only about one person, and if you lose Paul, it's over. No, he will raise up Timothy in your life. He will raise up another friend. He will raise up a, re a relationship where one failed. He, nothing is lost with the Lord. We're like, well, this is just life. It won't be like this anymore. Absolutely not. He said, I've got Timothy, and in Timothy's heart is my heart, and it's Paul's heart, and I'll bring Timothy to you to heal and to touch and to be a shepherd, even if Paul's on the other side of the world. Amen? You are never abandoned with him. Abandonment only, only happens when you rely on the world, not with Jesus.
Uh-uh, uh-uh. He'll raise up Timothy, and he'll have a heart just like Paul, just like Jesus. All right, one more. We're almost done here. We're rounding home. Y'all are laser-focused today. Y'all are on it. It's like you're taking a final. Look at you guys. Last one. Verse 15. Back in John 10. As the Father knows me, even so I am known, even so I know the Father, excuse me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I give my life because I'm the good shepherd. Like I give my resources, I give my living life. That's the picture. I give what I have. And then the step farther, I give up my very life for the sheep. In, in Jesus' culture, this would have totally caught this young blind man and everyone else off guard. Wait, what did he say? Surely he didn't just say that. This is a class system in this Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. The ruling class, the working class, animals. The ruling class, the working class, way down animals. Wait, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. They would have all just stopped and been perplexed. Why would a shepherd lay down his life for a mangy sheep? See, it would have halted them all. It would have silenced them all. And they all just would have stepped back and said, what? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Because a young man who had been blind his whole life needed to look in the eyes of Jesus after he had been rejected by the leaders. He needed to look in the eyes of Christ. And Christ would have said, let me tell you something, young man. Your value is not dependent on what they say. It doesn't depend on what you own or what you do or don't have. It's dependent on my sacrifice for you. Your value is not dependent on how you grew up or what you did this morning or how long you prayed this week. Your value is determined by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is Christianity. That is totally diametrically different than any other philosophy on this planet. That my value is not determined by my works. My value is determined by His work. That is Christianity. That is the Good Shepherd. That is what we must proclaim to the world because they are constantly up and down in this torrent wave of emotion the world lives in. They're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad. They did good this week, bad this week. I was a good husband this week, I was a bad husband this week. Ah, da, 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 da. This is the world, not us. My value is determined by his work. And he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. He determined it, not me. I go to the rock higher than I. Number four on your notes. The value is determined, your value, excuse me, is determined by his sacrifice. Your value as a person, whether your spouse thinks you're the greatest or not, whether your kids love you this week or they don't the next week, whether you got the promotion or you didn't, your value is determined by the Savior of the universe. It is set in heaven. Signed with a pin of iron in the Lamb's book of life. Now you tell me, can you live in depression and anxiety and fear if he said, I determine your value? Can rejection and insecurity live in your heart if he said, I determine your value? Come on. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Worship team, you can come up and we're going to look at one more scripture as we close. Every culture, especially this one, but it's really every culture, bases winning or success on ability. It does. It's just all the time, all the time, all the time in our life, right? We must rid ourselves 
of that in our identity as a Christian. Look, if you're going to be a doctor, you better go to school for 10 plus years, right? You're not going to operate on my brain unless you go to school. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would help. But my, uh, my, my deepest part of me, my identity, who I am, is a son of the king. That can never be changed, whether I'm on this pulpit or not, whether I'm good in this or not. Yours too. That is the place of absolute peace. That is the place of absolute love where, re- where fear cannot live. It cannot live there. Rejection cannot live there. That's why Jesus said, come to me, I'm the door, and I'm the good shepherd. Your value is determined by his sacrifice. And Jesus said it. And then I want to show you something about what Paul told the church. Told the church. I realized, wow, Paul really instilled in the local church something very important for its leaders to understand and to proclaim. This is um, Acts 20, 28. It's the end of Paul's life. Paul is getting ready to leave. Um, I believe it's the church, at, uh, the group around Ephesus. He's getting ready to leave a church and he can't come back. He, they, he said, you'll see my face no more. So he brings the elders together and the church. And he says, I want you to understand one of the most important fundamental facts about the local church. Therefore... Take heed to yourself and all of you, pastor in some capacity. Your shepherds in some capacity. Amen? All of you. You'll go pick up your kids in a little bit. And you, they might as well just hand you a staff. Right? You know. You're all shepherds in some capacity. Take heed, therefore... Excuse me. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, everyone, universally. Think like a shepherd. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's specifically talking about church leadership, but this is for all Christians. To shepherd the church of God. Okay, okay. Which, remind them, tell them, talk about it, explain it, proclaim it, yell it a little bit, spit it a little bit. <laughs> That he purchased you with his blood. And your value is determined by his blood. That is what I must be doing. You must be doing all the time. Amen. You remind him. You take heed. You remember he purchased you with his blood. That's some heavy words right there, isn't it? Your value as a person in every part of you. No fear can live in a place that the blood is applied. Come on now. We're going to make a proclamation as we end our service. A beautiful proclamation because this song is from the Apostles' Creed. It's well over 1,500 years old. Most people put it at first, uh, theologians at first century, first century um, Christianity. That make it almost 2,000 years old. Remember in this culture, a lot of them were illiterate, especially when slaves and stuff were getting saved. What do they do? Can't read the Bible. But they could memorize this proclamation when they gave their life to Jesus. Now you're going to proclaim it because he's the good shepherd, because you're not abandoned, because he is totally committed to you and you can be committed. And because your value is determined by his sacrifice. You're going to proclaim it? Come on, let's do it right now. Let's end our service with this proclamation.
Our judge and our defender Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness chapter. There's a lot of red in there. Where did all that red come from? Remember, who is Jesus talking to this whole time? A young man who was once blind, but now he sees. Why did all that red just spew out all over the place? In power, authority, and ultimate love. I'm going to tell you why it did. It's found just a few verses before. In John 9, 36. Let me give you all a minute. John chapter 9, 36. John chapter 9, 36. I'll start in verse 35. Y'all just get up 36 when y'all ready. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said to him, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? I'm sorry, it's verse 38. And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who talking with you. Verse 38. Three words. Three words is why Jesus goes off in red. Three words. John 9, 38. Do you have it up there? I kind of messed you guys up. Oh, y'all are too quick. Then he said, what are those three words? Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And then what did he do? One more time. Come on. Come on now. You're, you're worshiping the king of the universe, the savior of your soul, the good shepherd. Lord, I believe. Come on, let's worship him like he's worthy, like he saved you, like he's the good shepherd. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Like you were once dead, but now you're alive. Like you were once found, but now you're free. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I 
service, there are many of you that your profession and your confession of the good shepherd has been even has been under attack, has been pulled down by the weight of this world, by the circumstances of your life, and even some of you, it has been a demonic attack to stop your profession and confession that he is the good shepherd. He can't touch your soul. That's, that's the Lord's. But it has pulled and weighed on you to whisper and to silence you that he's the good shepherd and that he's proven it. And he has whispered, tried to bring you down to whisper that he'll prove it again. Because you're in a storm right now. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. Many years ago, the Lord showed me that although you're in the valley of the shadow of death, that's not where you walk. He said he prepares a path of righteousness for me. You don't walk. You're not. You're standing in the valley of the shadow of death, but you're on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And the Lord wants to remind you that he has proven his goodness and he will prove it again. You do not stop your confession. He will not stop being good. You keep proclaiming his goodness. Let's all come to the Lord as we just surrender to him. Lord, right now we come to you, the sheep of your pasture. You're the good shepherd. Forgive us where we have been pulled down on our confession, on talking about your goodness and your good plans and purposes. Whether in our marriage, in our home, in our family, in our own mind and heart, You are good, you are good, and you will prove it time and time again. So, Lord, we proclaim, we stand on the rock of your goodness. And we will walk out of here, and we will live it, and talk like it, and operate in it every single day. Because you're the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. Oh, we thank you. Oh, fill us, fill everyone in this room with trust and faith in you by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we all say amen and amen. Come on, praise him in his house. He alone is worthy. Praise him. Praise him. God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, someone will be up here.